welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy. I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. This week we're discussing chapter 26, Compromises. And we're starting off with uh, Malta's point of view, is this? Yes, it is. Okay. I always forget because the first description here doesn't really bring it in until the next, next page. So she is getting fitted in the dress that they are making for the summer ball. Yes. And remember the last time we talked about this ball with Malta's point of view, um, they decided that they were going to make the dress out of other dresses that they had available in the house. So Malta's describing that this is a cannibalized new creation. So there's a bunch of old scraps from other different gowns and, uh, and dresses scattered around the room. And Kefria and Rach and Ronica are in there as well. They're remarking about how pretty she looks and how she looks great. There's kind of a feeling of excitement between Kefria and Rach, mm-hmm. where they're really excited for this ball. They're excited for Malta. She's looking like a real woman. She's wearing women's dress. And Malta is not as happy. Right. So, yeah, it's Rach makes a comment that the only thing that would make her look more beautiful is a well, no, or no, no, sorry. No, no. This Selden is, makes a yeah. comment that she'd only look prettier <laughs> if she smiled. I wanted to highlight that. Rach is like, you could not be more beautiful unless she smiled, Selden pointed out quietly. <laughs> he's like seven years old and he's already got the, you should smile more bit. <laughs> Come on, Selden. I, you know what? Because he's seven, I'll forgive him. And also because he's a brother. And I feel like that's a big little yeah. brother move is like. He's probably eight now. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, no, but Malta is annoyed by the comment and even more annoyed that Selden is there and not working on his homework, question mark, but he is working, he is playing. Yes. So she's annoyed, but she's so depressed that she can't even say a word about it. Kefri agrees, though, and is like, okay, uh, but what's wrong, though? Are you still wishing we had a fashionable seamstress do this? Of course she was. How could her mother even ask such a question? For years, she and Dello had talked of their first summer ball as young ladies. They'd drawn pictures of their elaborate gowns, discussed trims and seamstresses and slippers. Never again would the eyes of Bingtown fall so attentively upon them. All would see her dressed in a homestitched dress with made-over slippers. Every waking moment of summer she had spent longing for a miracle. It was useless even to speak of how she felt. She didn't want her mother to weep again or her grandmother to tell her she should take pride in the sacrifices she'd made. This was the best they could do for her. What good would it do to speak of her disappointment? I want to speak of two things. One, same old Malta. But two, the end part of that is some character development, some progress, some step forward. She Maybe it's just because she's too tired to keep railing against it and speak of her disappointment, but at least she knows somehow or sometimes when to keep thoughts to herself. Yeah, I think when I first read this, I was also a little annoyed. I'm like, typical Malta, making it about her. But then I thought about it, and I think it's incredibly mature to be disappointed over something like that and not say it out loud because I think even as adults we all have those petty grievances where like of course I'm upset that this doesn't work out but I logically know that there's a reason for it and there's no use complaining or making people feel bad about it when it's 
nothing they they can't change the fact. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was actually altogether pretty mature, even if the thought stems from a little bit of immaturity. Right. But also it is supposed to be her first time going into society. It is a big deal in their culture. And of course she had ideas of what that would be. And so I do feel really bad for her that it is so far below what she wanted. And I think there are later bits of her inner dialogue that are a lot less mature. So I feel like I feel pretty confident saying this is a pretty big step of growth, especially because she doesn't seem to be blaming her mother or grandmother for the situation. Right. Yeah. So it's not like it seems like she's kind of realized that's how they cope with the situation and she has to find her own way to cope with it. Exactly. Yeah. Become accustomed to that disappointment as she so says. Mm hmm. So she's, there's still, there's still a little bit of immaturity there for sure, but there is the growth of empathy, which Mm -hmm. is positive. So she does a masterful deflection, of course, bringing it back towards, you know, there's not much to smile about with father gone. And Kefria brings up a memory of her being presented in the summer ball and Efren being there to comfort her as she walked in because she was so nervous and just... Overall, a feeling of melancholy in this conversation because Malta is bringing up also, should we even be discussing this? Like, should we be going through with all of this stuff while he is gone? Perhaps we should put this off one more year. Perhaps by then he would be home. It's a little late now to be considering that, Grandmother put it from her, in from her chair. She was sitting in the light of the window trying to fashion a fan from the leftover fabric. I'm afraid your grandmother is right, dear, her mother fussed. Everyone is expecting us to present you, and it would make our situation with the Cooper's family even more difficult. I don't think I like him any more anyway. If Rain were truly interested in me, he would have come to see me again. Have you heard no more from his mother? Rach seized her chin, strained her head, and pinned the headdress in place. Kefria frowns and said, oh, no, we need to make that smaller, take it off, and then answers her. What more could she write to us? She sympathizes with our plight. They pray your father will return safely to us. Rain looks forward eagerly to the summer ball. And she suggested, very delicately, that two weeks after the ball, we might discuss the payment on our debt. Translation, she wants to see how Malta and Rain get along at the ball, Grandmother put in sourly. She squinted at the pretty work in her hands. They have to consider appearances just as much as we do, Malta. For Rain to call on you too often before you are even presented would be seen as unseemly haste. Besides, it is a substantial journey from the Rainwilds to Bingtown, not to be undertaken lightly. Malta gives a sigh, and that's thinking internally. She thinks that's pretty much what she was going over in her head repeatedly, trying to convince herself of that, like, these are there's a bunch of reasons why he can't visit. But it seemed to her more likely that Rain had simply decided she wasn't worth the nuisance of courting her. So she's kind of being the, oh, poor me, every man and everyone should drop everything for me. Haven't heard much. Right. And to be fair, he hasn't spoken to her at all. There's been no letters to her from him, which... Seems like it may be improper to do in this society, which is crazy because apparently it's not improper to share dreams together. Like, okay, whatever. 
<laughs> but I do think that this whole conversation does make it seem like Malta likes rain yeah, a lot more than any other previous interaction I've felt with them, right. if that makes sense. Because I think before now... Well, because she's so like Althea trying to convince herself she doesn't yes. like ration. <laughs> yeah, but also before now it felt very, I'm doing this, number one, because I want to see if I can mess with the man's feelings. And number two, because... I like the power it gives me, whereas I did never feel like I like this person in any capacity other than what they can do for me. It doesn't feel like there are real feelings there before now. I mean, little touches maybe, but up until this point, it kind of was like, well, Rain definitely likes her and she tolerates that. So, <laughs> so I guess this makes me feel a little bit better about the relationship, but I don't know. Yeah. It's whatever. But she is annoyed. And I do just a very weird side tangent. I do want to bring up the fact that they are putting a headdress on her. This is not a piece of fashion that is ever talked about before now, to my awareness. And I thought it was really weird how nonchalantly it's talked about here, as though, of course, she'll be wearing a headdress. Like, we had the whole thing with Malta sneaking away to create her first ever women a woman gown that she paid for with her father's money when she stole her aunt Althea's fabric and there wasn't a single word about a headdress that she needed to worry about then and there's never any talk about seeing other people in headdresses from what I remember so I thought it was really odd that it's just thrown in there casually like oh yes and then they're making the headdress like what do you mean (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm figuring it's more like um, I just quick Google image searched. I'm, I was figuring more of like a like an old style hat or even like a right. bonnet kind of thing. No, bunch yeah, of flowers. That makes sense. However, it is never talked about as being mm. a fashion. Like nobody talks about, and her headdress looked nice. Or yeah, like whenever she wanted to be presented as a woman, when she tried to do it on her own, she did not have any talk about a headdress. Sure. Yeah. So even if it was specifically for your first time as a woman you have to wear a headdress whatever well no one's saying in here that they have to either it's just part of her outfit i guess it just feels odd that that's part (laughs) of a fashion style that maybe it's a new thing that's coming into fashion the vestrits are aware of it interesting may, may have insisted on it you know i guess i don't know i'm just saying it just feels like a weird thing to add in there i'm just saying we don't know anything about it and Robin likes to describe different clothes and styles, so. Definitely. But you'd think that if it was a staple of the fashion, it would have been mentioned once before. Anyway, like I said, very odd side tangent, not important at all. So back to Malta and her feelings with Rain. Malta is feeling inner feelings. She's upset, feeling like she, he might not think, Rain might not think she is worth the trouble. And then she thinks about the dragon and how she has been visited by the dragon ever since their meeting, their last dream share, and that the dragon is kind of making fun of her for putting up with him or waiting on him. Yeah. Says, sometimes the dragon spoke of rain. She said that Malta was foolish to wait for him. He would not come to help her. 
Her only possible hope was to somehow come to the dragon and free her. Over and over, Malta had tried to tell her that was impossible. When you say that, the dragon had mocked her, you are saying, really, that it is impossible for you to rescue your father. Is that what you truly believe? So Malta's pretty speechless with that accusation, and she is feeling a little bit hurt, I think, overall. There's a lot of things going on, but she does mention that just because that's going on doesn't mean she has given up on her dad or rescuing him. Right. But with that, like, one argument from her dreams, just telling her that, no, Rain is kind of useless, you have to do what you want to do, her overall thoughts of Rain have been waning because of the no contact thing. Right. And now her overall thoughts of men have been waning in general as well. Reluctantly, she acknowledged a second thought. Just when she had needed her own father's strength and power, he had sailed out of her life and disappeared. It wasn't her fault, she knew that. So she's kind of... Continuing on this tangent of thought that, like, all the men haven't helped her when she really needed it, and now I have to acknowledge that was with my father as well. Right. And I'd like to back up a little for the first part of the thought that was skipped over, that she had learned a great deal about men lately. It seemed to her that when she needed the strength and power most, they abandoned her. So... That's more about Sirwin and Rain, because both men, as soon as she wanted more than just trinkets and attention, disappeared. And she's pretty annoyed. And then, like you said, it's not just them. It's also her father. Although with her father, she doesn't hold him as accountable as Sirwin and Rain. But overall, it's this feeling of, wow, men have all this power and all this stuff, but they don't want to help me. So I need to get power. And then I'm going to keep it after I use it to save my dad. A thought occurs to her and asks, who is going to escort me if my father isn't here then? Kefri looks uncomfortable and says, well, Devad Restart has offered, of course, he would be honored. But her voice kind of dies away as she's kind of explaining that. Rach, of course, gives a snort of contempt and... Ronica says, we owe him nothing. You have no obligation to him, Malta, none. Then, if my papa can't, cannot be there, I should like to walk in by myself. Kefria looks troubled because she's the traditionalist here mm -hmm. in terms of society and says, my dear, I'm not so sure if that would be proper. Proper or not, it is fitting. Let her do it. Malta looked in astonishment at her grandmother. Ronica returned the look almost defiantly. Bingtown has left us to stand or fall on our own. Let them see that we stand, even to our youngest daughter. Her eyes locked with Malta's and something almost like understanding passed between them. Let the Rainwilds know it as well, Ronica added quietly. So this is a little bit of a look at Ronica's feelings. Uh... We haven't gotten that insight lately, and I think this is a, a good peek into how frustrated she's been with the Rainwild response. She previously, in the conversation, sourly added in translation. Janie's letters mean that she wants to see how Malta and Rain get along at the ball before things move forward anymore. Right. And now we have the stick it to everyone plus stick it to the Rainwilds. So I think Ronica is feeling, feeling kind of put out by the lukewarm response to the Vestrit's plate. 
Yeah, I think it's really interesting because were Ronica in any of their shoes, she also would not be helping. Like, I have no doubt that she would be like, well, that's their family business, not ours. We have other things. So her being salty that they're kind of hung out to dry. At least she would in the beginning of the books. (laughs) Yes, yeah. (laughs) But she's all salty that they're being hung out to dry. And I like that she is okay with shirking tradition and that she's like, yeah, who cares if a man's supposed to walk her into the hall? Stick to the man, Malta. But also it's a little bit funny to know that she is relaxing on her traditionalist ideas now that she is continuously fighting Althea about being more normal. So it seems that she is okay with a little bit of non-tradition, but... She hasn't fought Althea that hard li- lately. True. She's, she, been, well, she's been growing more lax in general. Yeah, that's true. But I feel like, too, with Althea, Althea will just run away. <laughs> yeah. So she's proven that. I guess you kind of have to change your worldview a little. But then there's Kefria, who is a stick in the mud per usual. I don't know if that's proper. Speaking of Althea, though, we jump over to her point of view, and she is walking down to the live ship dock area because that's where Paragon has been for a little bit now. And she is going to work there because they've been going in and out day after days, trying to get Paragon ready to sail. Right. And in repeating the narrative that Kefri is a little bit of a stick in the mud, we have a little aside that Althea is right now wearing a coarse cotton work skirt but it's annoying her because she got to wear pants on the, in the sand when she was doing the work. And now that they're on the docks, she has to look more presentable, according to Kefria, even though it's a lose-lose situation because Kefria is still scandalized by the cotton skirt and Althea is still it unable to work. Thinks in a, it's too confining. Yeah. yeah. So she can't wait to be out in the open sea where she can wear pants again. <laughs> Which is very relatable. I would not do well working in a skirt, I think. A big, long skirt. As she's walking the docks, Kendry, one of the live ships, hails her, and they have a little bit of a conversation here. It's kind of good-natured, and it's very familiar, because Kendry's a very familiar live ship. He's hot. (laughs) (laughs) He's um, one of the younger-looking figureheads, apparently, And is very handsome as well, so that makes him popular on the docks. But they do seem to know each other pretty well. He makes a joke about how he doesn't even recognize her. She's looking a little scrubby. (laughs) And she jokes that maybe he'll recognize her when she comes back in the afternoon or is leaving in the afternoon because she'll be covered in tar. Kendry replies it'll take a rough scrubbing to get that off before the summer ball. That was a more sobering topic. After much argument with her mother and sister, she had won her way. I won't be going to the summer ball, Kendry. We hope to set sail before then. Besides, even if I went, who would dance with a scrub girl? She tried to lighten her words with a smile. He glanced about and then dropped her a slow wink. I know a sailor who might not be dismayed at such an idea. He lowered his voice. I'd be happy to take a message to Treyhog with me, if you'd care to send one. 
So, Greg Tanira was still holed up in the Rainwild City. She started to shake her head, then reconsidered. I might send a note if you didn't mind taking it. So, he's going to be sailing up the Rainwild River. We get confirmation that's where Greg has gone after he left his family little cabin. Mm-hmm. And Althea is now annoyed at the next turn the conversation takes because Kendry asks after our little friend (laughs) well not our little friend but how is our other friend doing and she's annoyed because she kind of has to explain the same things over and over and has this same conversation with everybody she just says you know well as can be expected he was very isolated he was neglected for a long time we got lots to do but he's coming along it's it's going okay and then shockingly Kendry replies well, if he hadn't killed so many of them, there might be a few more Ludlucks to go around. Because Althea specifically says he doesn't have any family members. No on board. true family, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, Kendry, that was very shady. <laughs> it I think I was shocked because of how sympathetic Ophelia was when talking about Paragon and how she talked about how the all of the live ships felt really bad about that situation and how they wouldn't let it happen to another live ship. But then to have Kendry be like, well, he killed everybody, so <laughs> what? <laughs> He's just so mean to Paragon. I don't know. It was like, oh, okay, bully. <laughs> he laughed at Althea's scowl. Just telling you how I see it, girl. Don't scrunch up your face up at me. There isn't a ship in this harbor that doesn't feel he brought much of his troubles down on himself. That does not mean we do not wish him well. I would like nothing better than to see him straighten up and redeem himself. But I don't feel right. He, or do, I don't think he's worth a lady taking big chances. If things don't feel right by your sailing date, you let him go without you. Maybe you'd like to take a trip up river with me instead. But I could get my captain to let you ride for free. So it's it seems that, like, from a live ship's perspective, he messed up. He killed his family. That's a big Mm no-no. He has killed three different times he's come into the harbor and um, has no crew aboard. So I feel like, yeah, we got a more sympathetic view from Ophelia because it was in reference to Vivacia becoming like Paragon. Mm. But I think while there is sympathy towards him, it doesn't kind of translate the same way of like, oh, we would never want that to happen again. It's like, ooh, it did happen, and he mm-hmm. messed up big time. Okay. That's where I kind of feel like it is. Like, yeah, they're, they're kinship, right? You know, they're all live ships, but especially with their serpents underneath, they're not like stick to the family kind of person, <laughs> you know? <laughs> or actually, they were turning into dragons, which are even more isolated and individual. Yeah. But. I don't know. That's that's how I feel. Maybe maybe Ophelia is different. Maybe their their attitudes are that vastly different. And Kendry is more of a bully. But from that passage, that's what I got. It was more of like um, he kind of made his bed. Now he has to lie in it. Maybe he can rise up and make that bed later. But right. And I will say, I mean, as much as I'm frustrated with Kendry for being a bully, he isn't wishing ill on paragon he is like i hope he does prove me wrong dark humor joke (laughs) it's kind of funny (laughs) i mean yeah but it makes me feel so bad because paragon has had it so hard and even his fellowships are kind of like gross (laughs) (laughs) like watch out for that guy (laughs) i don't know so i don't love that but 
Maybe it's I been just about was... 60 years since they've talked to him, <laughs> 30 laying on the beach and 30 before that. Yeah. And I don't know that he was necessarily the best conversationalist before then. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter, but it, it did feel very big bully energy and I did not like that. So Kendry's on my watch list for being a bully to Paragon because <laughs> I like Paragon. <laughs> Althea kind of brushes him aside of the the offer to go up river saying like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to sail with him. Uh, take care. And Kendry's like, well, don't be too late with the, with the note. I do plan to sail on tomorrow. She told herself they meant well as she walked away. All the people who wished her success and then warned her about Paragon. Even Trell. Sometimes she had to work to remember that. The work had gone better than anyone had expected it to. Their small budget had been supplemented by Amber's mysterious influence. No less an artisan than Noel Flate had come down to volunteer his services in setting up the canvas for new rigging. Althea couldn't imagine what Amber knew about Noel that had prompted the stingy old man to be so suddenly generous with his time. Some nasty little secret she didn't doubt. Yesterday, a score of casks of ship's biscuit had been donated by a well-wisher who insisted on remaining anonymous. Althea suspected Amber's hand there as well. But the most useful had been Amber's slaves' recruits, who quietly arrived in the dark of night after Brashen had sent home the regular workers, to slip aboard Paragon and toil until dawn almost grayed the skies. Then they would disperse as swiftly as they had arrived. They spoke little and worked hard. Every face was tattooed. She hated to think what risks they took away to slip away from their masters each night. Althea suspected that when they sailed, most of the night crew would be below decks. They'd fill out the hired crew as fighters and seamen. How this had been arranged, she didn't want to know. Brashen had tried to take her into his confidence about it one afternoon. She had lifted her hands to her ears. A secret is kept best by one, she reminded him. He had looked pleased. That thought brought a smile to her own face. She shook her head at herself. Why should she care if he were pleased with her or not? He'd made very little effort to please her with his latest decision. Before we dive into that, we'll, uh, we'll talk about that previous passage where Amber's influence is getting them ahead in town here. Is it Amber's influence? What else would it be? People helping the Vestrits anonymously because they don't want to help because put their name on it because it makes it political, but they feel bad for their plight and so then are anonymously donating. Maybe. But Amber's a foreigner that nobody likes. Yeah. Why would so many people respond to that? Like the I understand the slaves are, for sure. Yeah, That's and her. I'm assuming the artisan as well is her. Okay. So maybe the ship's biscuit was anonymous and wanted to help the Vestrits, but... I feel like the artist could even be about the Vestrits because who's to say he wasn't friends with Efren? You know what I mean? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Because he's a cranky old man. When would Amber have talked with him? Well, I, I guess they He's had a renowned shops artisan, yeah. I would assume that they, they were known to each other because they ran in the same circles, but... but no, I was just wondering if maybe... Because we know... A lot of people throughout the books have talked up Efren Vestra as this great guy who they all really admire and they think really highly of. And so that's, I guess, why part of me was like, I wonder if this is just people trying to help, but they don't want it to be known with them because of the political implications. 
but they feel as though they owe something to Efren or they feel bad for the Vestrits. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Maybe not. Maybe it is all Amber. But just, I don't know. No proof either way, I suppose. Besides the slaves, obviously. Yeah. I do also want to talk about the slaves coming at night. I feel as though there's a lot of growth from Althea because she is thinking of the slaves as people, first of all, which what a win. But <laughs> but she seems to be worried more about their well-being and thinking less of, oh, scary map faces are on our boats and we have to be worried. She's like, oh, they're really good workers and I feel bad that they're risking so much to be here. Right. So I thought that was pretty interesting. But we move on to her thoughts on Brashen. Yeah. I do quickly want to ask, did you feel as though it was odd that she didn't want to know more about Brashen's little inside detail? Um, yeah, it's a, this is another one of those like jump in character developments. We're supposed to just mm-hmm. kind of like brush aside and be like, time has passed. She's matured more about her attitude toward Brashen. It felt really immature to me. Really? Yeah. Like, oh, you're captain. La la la. Not listening. I don't need to know. I'm not captain. Mm, it didn't feel immature at all to me. It was okay. I thought it was very mature, actually. Okay. I don't know. I just felt Different like reads of it. Yeah. I felt maybe because she's not super mature, like throughout the rest of the. I, not that she's immature, but it just. I feel like a response to somebody being like, hey, let me explain this to you because you're also up there in being in charge and need to know things going on and being like, la, 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 not listening is really immature. (laughs) I don't think it's immature. I think it was mature because she could recognize that she didn't need to know. Okay. And could recognize because she didn't need to know Brashen was probably doing that to maybe appease her or something. And you'd be like, no, no, no. Like, seriously, I don't need to know you're in charge of it. You deal with it. You, like she says, a secret is better kept with one person. And then that pleases him like, oh, okay, cool. We're, we're actually like, okay now, because if this was two months ago, Althea, who thought she should captain Paragon, Mm -hmm. she would have thrown a fit by not knowing Fair. No, okay. So I, I see it as a step of progress. I don't know. That's how I read it, at least. That's fair. Different ways to read it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But Brashen had looked pleased at her response, and she was pleased by his pleasure. Until she remembered. Why should she care if he were pleased with her or not? He'd made very little effort to please her with his latest decision. It should have been a monumental argument. But Dan Brashen had insisted on remembering his privileges as captain. And she recounts that she was summoned into his captain's uh, chambers, broke the news with her alone there. She says at least she was summoned into the chambers. Yeah, because she's still salty about it. Right. And he says, I did as was my right. I hired my own first mate. Wouldn't you have done in the same position? Yes, she had hissed. But I'd have hired you, damn you. I thought that was the agreement. No, he replied thoughtfully. And you can tell he's kind of uh he's kind of nervous about this 
conversation as well because she describes him, you know, having scrap canvas and then putting it on the desk and then deciding it was upside down. So he turns it. So he's just fidgeting, fidgeting as well. But he says, there was no agreement about that, save that you would sail with me, with the Paragon when, when he sailed. We made no other agreement. As you might recall, I suggested some time ago that you not work alongside the men in light of the type of men I'd have, have to hire. She had made a small sound of disgust. Some of them barely merited the title of men. She took a breath to speak, but he held up a hand. Any other ship, any other crew, you would have been first for me. You know that. But this crew will need a whip hand. Sweet reason will not sway many of these men. The real threat of a physical thrashing may. I could hold my own, she lied gamely. He shook his head. You're not big enough. They wouldn't respect you until after they'd challenged you and had proven it to them. Even if you won, it would be more violence on Paragon than I am willing to risk. If you lost, he didn't go into the consequences. I feel like I'm pretty mad at Ration's decision here with Althea. What about you? I understand the reasoning. Okay. I mean... Brashen is very scared for her. Mm -hmm. And there's evidence that we know as rereaders, it would have been a bad decision. I mean, Lavoie was also a bad decision, but Althea would be a bad decision as first mate as well on the first part of this trip. And I don't know. It's, uh, it's not a great crew that they find. Yeah, I don't know. I think... It frustrates me because he's all like, well, I never promised anything. And as you recall, I don't like the idea of a lady sailor anyway, which is not what he says. I know I'm being a little facetious there, but (laughs) it just made me so mad because she deserves more respect, I feel like. And also you could have somebody come on as second to make sure that they're good enough to be in that position and then tell them, if you do well, I will promote you to first on the second, on the way back because Althea has to leave, right? That's the plan is Althea will get off the ship. So you have somebody at least in a lower position to prove that they deserve to be in a first position. And like, it could have, he could have still given Althea first mate, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. And he's trying to play it like, Oh, there's no other option. I had to pick somebody else. And if the circumstances were different, I would have picked you, but it kind of feels like he would have found an excuse not to pick her. In my opinion, obviously I'm just mad and reading into it, but I don't know. I just thought it was kind of lame that she has to keep proving herself time and time again And he gets to just be like, not good enough. Sorry. (laughs) I don't know. Well, he never. Okay, so this is my reading of it. One, he never says that you're not good enough. He says that you're not big enough. You're not like physically strong enough to beat some of these guys up if need be. Right. So they're not scared of you. And two, his point is that it's probably going to come down to being physically threatened for them to challenge and be scared of you. And you 
can't physically scare these guys. And she's, she almost snorts and like spits when she, he calls them men because she doesn't think they deserve that title, which I thought was funny. Right. Um, but from my understanding, and I, again, I don't really know the hierarchy that well or how things work, but what's been explained in these books is that first mate has to be the most respected one out there. I mean, besides the captain, that's kind of a given, right? Right. But if the crew doesn't respect the first mate, they have to go to the captain then. And Brashen is probably going to be way too busy doing other stuff. But if she's second mate, then they can go to the first mate, right? And the, the buck stops there. Like, he's still in charge of things. There's still kind of a, um, like a totem pole, a hierarchy, a chain of command. But if they don't respect the first mate, they're not going to respect the captain, I think is his kind of viewpoint. And they they need discipline on this ship specifically. Okay. So I think it's kind of like... There is a possibility that everything could fall apart if they don't respect you. We can't take that. Fair enough. And like, I get that. I don't know. I just, I think I just feel bad for Althea because that is a pretty big blow, especially because he just did it and hired somebody and didn't talk to her about it at all. And obviously she was going to fight and be like, I'm worth it. But she's also an adult and is in the profession. And I think if he would have just explained it like that, she would have come around to it and she would have been fine. And she could have helped in the process, which clearly was needed because I think that's the other salt in the wound, which we can go forward. He explains to her that he has picked Lavoie, which is a man that he knows um, for having a horrible temper. So he can't get hired on. He describes, he is a brute, and that's one of the kinder things we can say about him. He's also a damn fine sailor. If it weren't for his temperament, he'd have risen to command years ago. I told him that I was giving him a chance on the Paragon. If he proves out here, all of Bingtown will know that he could be made anywhere. He's hungry for this chance. And he's, she, yeah, he explains to Althea that he's hiring on basically for what a bully sailor would do on any other ship. So he's being hired on extremely cheap for a first mate. Right. He wants to prove himself, but I suspect he doesn't have it in him. That's where you come in, which we can get into. But I don't think he has it in him to be a good first mate. But I figured, why not? At least he can bully the crew. Are you kidding me, Brashin? Like, there was nobody else who had a little bit more morals and was also strong. And I get that, like, Brashen, Not that cheap, that's for sure. <laughs> I guess. But then I guess Brashin is the whole has a whole sympathetic side to him of giving people chances because that's what helped him. Mm-hmm. And you know, Captain Vestret took a chance on him and it worked. And so maybe part of him is hoping that that's just what Lavoy needs and that's why he took him under his wing. But I hate it. And that makes me more bad about the whole like oh, I'd pick you in any other situation. I just need somebody who's strong. So I picked a horrible human being who can't get hired on anywhere else. Don't worry about it. I like it. He's not making very good decisions as captain to make it. Let's, okay. Lavoy is bad, but he he never says that he can't get hired on anywhere else. <laughs> it's that if it weren't for his temperament, he would have been command a long time ago. He's a good sailor. Okay, <laughs> that's, that's okay. Right, okay. Sorry. He's not like... <laughs> 
a drunk sitting in a tavern, you know, <laughs> being mean and like a bouncer or something. No, no, right. no. <laughs> no, fair enough. He is a sailor and he's a good sailor. I just, I don't know. I don't like the idea of Brashen giving this guy a chance as first. Could have given him a chance as second. Why even make Althea second anyway? Like if you're just going to make all these decisions and pick poorly, I don't know, whatever. But he does explain that he wants Althea as second because in his mind, that's pitting Lavoie and putting him in a situation where he's going to win because above him is Brashen and below him is Althea and together they can sandwich him in into their way of thinking. And like, yeah, like moderate his attitudes, not undercut him because again, I think it goes back to the, we need the chain of command intact and he needs to feel empowered, but right. I can give him a command. And if he gives you like a way to do it extremely, you know, to moderate it because that wouldn't be coming from me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like, that's great. And that shows thinking. And I'm not mad about that description of what he was thinking. I mm-hmm. think it just makes me mad that he, would do that i don't know it just like <laughs> it's yeah yeah you can be you can be angry on althea's behalf like she says in here she saw the logic of it but it still rubbed her raw yep so, me too me yeah. too althea so yeah so i guess i don't want to pretend like he's the worst captain in the world he's worse <laughs> than uh kyle but <laughs> but i do i do think he's making a dumb choice here and i do think it was entirely rude of him to make it alone without Althea. And maybe it goes back to that. He's trying to draw that line of I'm the captain of this ship and you're not. Which and especially Althea agrees to later in this. Yeah. Right. And especially because she like in your reading was mature about letting him be captain and her not needing to know everything. Maybe he took that as a green light to really cement that and be like, I'm making decisions. I'm just telling you about it. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, I think because I know it's going to happen and also because I want him to be nicer to Althea because they love each other. (laughs) I'm just crabby about it. Well, there's something else that Brashen has to tell her that she'll like just as much as that news. Yeah. And that's that Amber has bought her right to be aboard and so has Jack. They've all agreed. And they, since they're all women, they all have to bunk together because they don't want them in the open house there. So they're going to be crammed inside there. And Amber likes it even less because Amber has insisted that she needs, you know, alone time, private time away because Beloved needs that private space. And so, so Brashen has offered up the captain's cabins when he's not in there, which will make the crew talk, but he doesn't care. Right. I do want to quick ask about that private alone time that Amber is asking about. Do you think that is to that is something to do with the prophecies that they have? It's giving them a set time to write them down. To journal, yeah, mm-hmm. I think so. Okay. Because I remember I think I don't know which book it's from, but somewhere Beloved tells Fitz that sometimes the prophecies just come out and if if he doesn't write them down they have nowhere to go and so they come out through him more Mm. i think i don't remember that but yeah maybe i think it's in the final trilogy Mm. when they're talking about b somehow or maybe i don't know whatever it doesn't matter there's some sort of passage about him needing to write it out yeah i think it's when he's talking about his time at claris 
However, we have whatever the case, Amber needs that alone time. And maybe too, just having the privacy to be themselves and not put on an act. (laughs) Yeah. Also, maybe just an introvert. (laughs) Beloved canon introvert. (laughs) Right. Well, they kind of finish that conversation hoping that's the only thing that they'll have to gossip about, really, because they're both worried about Paragon and his actions. Right. I do also want to talk about the fact that Jack is coming along. First of all, odd to me that Brashton feels like he needs to preface Amber's coming along because she bought her right to be here. Like, yeah, Amber's coming along. Yeah. But Did anybody think it? she yeah. wasn't? Because she's not, if she didn't want to go, no one would have questioned it because she's not a sailor or a fighter. And that's what they're going to have to be doing. Right. So I think if she's like, no, I don't want to come, no would have, would have batted an eye. But Amber also hasn't at any point said she wouldn't be coming. Yeah. So I don't know. I just felt like, okay, even if she didn't buy her way on, you think you're leaving her behind? No. <laughs> <laughs> so whatever. But then also the whole, they're kind of weird about Jack and like, I guess Jack has to come along too, and Jack's a sailor, so there's that. But Jack sailed with the six duchies, so. And she seems to be really good on ship anyway, so yeah. she's, she's coming nimble too. and fearless. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I like Jack a lot, so I just felt like maybe it was a little bit of shade. <laughs> well, they're worried about Paragon and... Althea is kind of going over his attitudes in the past days. You know, sometimes he recites the same body poem over and over. Some days he gives her a pleasant morning. Sometimes he weeps endlessly into his own hands. Yep. It's just kind of hit or miss. It's a roulette. And sometimes Amber's the only one who can handle handle him. Their total complement of crew members had been hired several days ago and several times since then. Ration would find sailors, convince them to sign aboard, and get them moved on, only to have them walk the next day. It wasn't just the bizarre things Paragon said or did, like the smell of fierce sweat, his madness flavored the air of the ship. Those sensitive enough to feel it without knowing the source suffered nightmares, or sudden panics while working the holds. Neither Brashen nor Althea tried to force any man to remain aboard. Althea knew it was better to lose them now than to have jittery or frightened men aboard once they set sail. It was still becoming a local joke. The mongrelized crew was unusual enough by Bingtown standards without men jumping ship in the harbor and spreading rumors of the odd goings-on aboard the ship. But today, Paragon seemed calm enough. Do you think the panic that these sailors, the sensitive sailors, are feeling when they're in the enclosed hold? are the feelings of the dragons remembering being trapped in the egg or something to do with Kenneth's memories from when he was hiding away and dying? Why not both? Why not everything that's going on in Paragon at all times? (laughs) Fair, fair. He's got a lot of feelings, got a lot of memories, got a lot of people kind of clustered up in there. Some of that feeling is going to escape. But like you said, Paragon is doing good today, and he is, well, affable, maybe not good. (laughs) He greets Althea and then asks about the ring's gold. Yep. Not that I've heard, she replied. Why? There's been talk that he's late returning to Bingtown. The ships that should have seen him haven't. Althea's heart sank in her. 
Well, a lot of things can delay a ship, even a live ship. Of course, pirates, serpents, deadly storms. Unfavorable winds, Elthea countered, delays loading cargo. He gave a snort of contempt. Amber shrugs. Well, at least he was rational today, she thinks, and <laughs> continues on board and presents herself to Lavoie, saying that she's reporting in. So yeah, we get the first mention that people know something's up with Ring's gold being missing. Yep. We know as readers that he was devoured by the serpents after recalling his identity as Draquius. But here, you can tell how scary that would be because Vivacia was the first one to be taken, and now all of a sudden, another live ship is gone. Mm-hmm. Which is just purely coincidence. However, <laughs> it would be a little bit scary for all the Bingtown folk of we've always had these ships that have been impen- impenetrable and super fast and evade the pirates and no. we make tons of money. Two and are missing. Two are missing. And who knows what happened to them. So a little bit scary. So Althea presents herself to Lavoie, who directs, uh, tells her that she's going to be directing a crew down below to stow the cargo that they have uh, that they're bringing on board right now, all the foodstuffs that pretty much are going to last them the whole trip. Right. And they have to pack on as much as possible because they're going to have more of a crew. They won't be picking up cargo to trade along the way, et cetera, et cetera. And she also describes how Lavoie is kind of probing at and questioning her competence. She just mm-hmm. says, like, yep, I do know how to do that. Picks out the crew, goes down below. She points out a couple of people and notes their names. We have Half and You, <laughs> Jack, Cypros, You, and Kurt. So since there's been so much turnover on the crew, she's having trouble remembering everyone's name, but it'll come to her eventually. And she knows that because he's challenging her, they're going to have to work really hard to keep up because I'm sure Lavoie, and she's sure Lavoie is going to be... Uh, sending the cargo down as fast as he can, so she has to stow as fast as she can. And she thinks, there was always some sort of chivying between mates on a vessel. Sometimes it was good-natured. This was not. So just anticipating being challenged by him. Because, as they mentioned with Jack, and maybe that's the little like shade that you, that you heard from Brashen, mm-hmm. nobody's used to women sailors. Yeah. It's not a thing here. Right, and Jack doesn't seem put off by it because... That's the Bingtown way, or sorry, not Bingtown. Six Duchies way. Six Duchies way. So that's just what she's used to. But everybody else is kind of uneasy and Mm -hmm. not sure what to think. And then Althea thinks about her task and how there is, she doesn't like the feel of the boat right now. Um, Brashen had been most particular about his ballast, but he still rolled more than Althea would like. And then... She talks about how stowing, her job of stowing all the cargo is going to be a very important aspect because how she does determines how fast they can sail and what will happen whenever there's a storm or Mm -hmm. something happens. So she is not super looking forward to the responsibility, but does note that she wouldn't really trust anybody else besides herself or maybe Brashen to do it because she thinks she inherited her dad's peculiarity for how things should be stowed which is funny because that's how we first met Althea was she was going around Kyle's order to stow things the right way (laughs) 
So I thought it was really funny that here we have, we finally have her being in charge of it. She's like, I don't really want to do this. (laughs) (laughs) And she's down below decks now and kind of looking around. Paragon has that new ship smell, but obviously there are evidences that he is not a new ship. Initials carved, bloody handprints, signs that suggested a fight, a massacre took place there. Wizardwood remembered, she says. She suspected that at one time there had been a massacre on board the ship. That did not fit with Paragon's claims to have killed his crews, but any hint of a question about such things sent him into a frenzy. She supposed they would never know the full truth of what he had endured. So just another mystery to her of like, well, he claims he killed all of his crews, but obviously people killed crew on here or people killed people in his decks. Right. Which you would think would make them at the very least be like, man, these Ludlucks were not good people right? because why were they murdering people on their deck? Of course. I mean, it wasn't them. Yeah, I know. But yeah. Or somebody came on and killed the Ludlucks and blamed Paragon. Like, I just feel like it's so weird to be like crazy old Paragon killing all his crew. (laughs) (laughs) There's literally evidence that it wasn't him. Right. (laughs) Whatever. Not not the point of this. So as they're going, the cargo is coming in. And just like Althea thought, it is coming in really fast. And she's kind of annoyed. She's like, you know, it doesn't take very much talent to get cargo into the ship fast. It's. (laughs) putting it away in a correct manner that does. It took someone with some sea sense to know how it stowed all correctly. (laughs) Exactly. So as she's doing this, she's annoyed, but she's working everybody. She's working beside them and she's making sure Jack is working just as hard Mm -hmm. as her. Like she's pushing both of them as women to be working the hardest so that the men can see they mean business. They know what they're doing. Right. She's earning the respect, which is what she's kind of, now happy Brashen has allowed her the opportunity to do Mm -hmm. because even though Brashen didn't want her to work with the men and was worried about her around the men and her ability to physically dominate them if needed, he's still giving her a chance to earn their respect by showing that number one, she knows what she's doing. And number two, she is a very hard worker. Mm -hmm. So as they're getting it put away, she's also watching the other crew. She's kind of taking notes to, figure out who these people are and how they're going to be once they're on the sea. And the first that she takes a note about is Jack herself. She made no effort to conceal her lively appetites and she might become too friendly with the men, Althea thinks. Althea wondered if it would lead to later problems aboard the ship. Reluctantly, she concluded it was something she would have to bring up to Brashen. He was captain after all, let him handle it. But she looks around to the other members as well. She sees that Cypros and Kurt did a fair share, but required direction. Jack, of course, was a jewel, putting her back into what she did and looking ahead to foresee possible difficulties. Semoy, an older man with a drink-reddened nose, was already pleading that a sore shoulder was troubling him. If he couldn't keep up, it was better he was off the vessel before they sailed. Of the two others, half was a loudmouth youngster who made no secret of his disdain for Althea's commands while Lop, a skinny man of middle years, was willing but stupid. She preferred his stupidity to Half's near insubordination. Soon she knew she would have to hash things out with Half. She didn't look forward to it. He was larger than she was and well-muscled. 
She told herself that if she handled herself correctly, it would never become a physical confrontation. She prayed to Sa she was correct. So I do want to point out that Samoy and Lop were the people that she did not know the name of. Yes. And whenever she picked her crew. But yeah, she is doing a really good job of reading these people. And I think it's pretty impressive that she is making note of who to keep track of. I feel bad for her dealing with half. <laughs> Definitely rough. But I feel mm-hmm. more bad that as they're doing all this work and getting things done, Lavoy keeps coming in to see how she's doing. And he comes down twice and each time says something she needs to fix, has one little complaint. And it is making her really mad. <laughs> but she also knows this is kind of a test. And if she doesn't do it, that is undermining his authority. And Brashen has specifically asked her not to do that. So she is gritting her teeth and doing the changes. And then by the fourth time he comes down, she's ready to explode. And he just grudgingly says, good work. And then she's like, hey, I'm doing good. <laughs> she actually felt complimented by it. So he felt the need to try, to try her mettle. He wouldn't find her slack nor insubordinate. I guess I should, I said, he said, good job. He actually said, carry on. He gave a grudging <laughs> nod to her work and then said, carry on. Yeah. So not even a positive thing, but she takes it as a compliment. She says it was still a long day and eventually she emerges onto the deck. The sunny afternoon felt open and fresh. She went forward to look for Amber. And I do want to say for that section, I felt like that was a lot of growth that she did just do as she was told, especially because, again, oh, yeah. we first meet her stowing things and putting things where she thinks they should go rather than the captain of the ship. And she does not even have a position. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that to now being told, no, change this little aspect and doing it. So she's finally emerged from the bottom of the ship and is taking a little break here and goes up to the front and sees that Brashen is trying to teach Amber how to tie a knot, a specific sailor's knot. Amber is not quite getting it, but uh, notes that Amber is an incredibly quick learner and determined when she needs to learn something. And is trying. Yes. And Brashen is saying, do it again. Keep doing it until you can tie it with your eyes shut. If we're ever so hard-pressed that I haul you out on deck, it's likely to be in bad weather. That's reassuring, Amber muttered quietly, but did as he bade her. Althea marveled at how swiftly the woman adapted herself. With all of them, Brashen was quietly asserting his new status as captain of the vessel. Althea was accustomed to such a shifting of roles. (laughs) Sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She'd seen it before on the Vivacia when a deckhand rose to mate status and suddenly had to change his relationship with his fellows. She knew that sometimes it could be bloody, though she had never seen it go that far in Vivacia. She was willing to cede to Brashen both the distance and the respect he needed to function as captain. That distance might make it easier for both of them. So she schooled her tongue to respect as she said, Sir, I have a concern about the crew. And that is... Jack is a bit too friendly with the other hands. It may lead to problems later. While we are in port, it is one situation. Out on the open water, it may become something else. He nods and says, I know, I've given it some thought. I feel like this is such a weird thing. And maybe, I don't know, I guess 
just assuming that Jack's gonna like sleep with the whole crew because she's being flirty and friendly and that she can't be professional because of that. It's kind of annoying. But also I get that women aren't normally sailors here and it's not normal female attitude, I guess, in this society anyway. So... And Brashen also mentions the crew previously in this chapter that there's more than one uh, convicted sexual offender. <laughs> yeah, which, like, what are you... Seriously? Well, at least one that submitted it, I guess. Yeah, which, like, okay, kick him off then. What are you talking about, That's Brashen? That's what they can get. Well, there's other people, clearly, because they keep replacing the ones that are running away. Get rid of him. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe he's the one one of the ones that ran away. We don't Hopefully. Know. Fingers crossed. Ugh. But I think it's just, you know, this sort of thing has to be brought up in front of the captain's attention because they are going to be in smaller than dorm rooms for <laughs> months at a time. Right. <laughs> so I, I feel like it's a good thing just to be get ahead of the, the ball, you know? Yeah, I guess maybe it's more of the modern reader in me where I'm just like, you don't think she can handle it like let's be so real right now like she's a professional she knows what she's doing and yeah, she but, says that to them yeah and they talk and brush and says like yeah it's not you it's the men's response to you turning them down or doing something to them as well and so. she's like well i'll teach him a lesson then like she's very because she's she comes up on this conversation and says you know i've been on a ship before i know how to handle this i'm not i'm not going to be doing anything and they're like yeah it's the men and then she's like okay well they're not either well they might get mad and she's like okay and like (laughs) yeah during this conversation brashen says something and then has to explain it to paragon who asks what the question is and brashen's explanation is i won't tolerate any relationship between hands that affect the operation of this vessel and as you said jack was approaching during that she raised an eyebrow but kept her silence until Brashen acknowledged her. Jack, is there a problem? She had heard what they were discussing. She didn't pretend otherwise. No, sir. Nor do I expect there to be one. I've sailed before with mixed crews. If you don't mind my saying so, I know how to handle myself in close quarters. Probably only Althea could tell that Brashen fought to keep from smiling, which is, it was a funny double entendre, Jack. Uh-huh. I don't doubt that you do, Jack. My concern is mostly for the men who don't know how to govern themselves. Jack didn't smile. I'm sure they'll learn, sir. Surprising them all, Paragon added, let's hope the lesson is not too painful for anyone. Way to go, Jack which, and Paragon. Which is also a very valid concern with Paragon's... Uh, propensity to feel a little bit more towards violence. Fair. (laughs) But I don't know. I think I really respect that Jack head on faced the question and was like, listen, I know how to handle myself and they'll learn that that they don't listen to me, which good for you, Jack. And I trust her to be able to do that. She's a strong, independent working woman. That is a class A sailor right there. (laughs) I love her. I love Jack so much. I have a huge crush on Jack. (laughs) Okay, well, I think we will stop there for now. This is a lot of perspective changes, and it's running on a bit late. I think we have quite a bit more to go through and talk about. Any last thoughts on this part so far? Um, I just had a thought as we were going, and I forgot to say it earlier, but I feel as though 
um, all Kendry was missing was a barrel on his shoulder. Because the the barrel guy. (laughs) Yeah, he is. He's the new barrel guy. Kendry and Barrel Guy on my list of bullies that I hate. <laughs> that's a that's a big callback. Was that like chapter three or chapter two or something? Chapter three. Uh, he, Barrel Assassin's Guy, Apprentice. Barrel Guy does not have a name, and he says three things. I hate him. I, I hate him with a f- burning, fiery passion. Kendry's on that level for you. Jeez. No, he's not on that level, but he's number two. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, guys, for tuning in. If you have thoughts about uh, Kendry and Barrel Guy, please let us know. It is fitshappy at gmail.com. Of course, you can also reach us at any of our social media platforms on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Threads, YouTube, and we're on Reddit as well. You can message us or anything you want. Tag us in threads that you find interesting and we'll be looking at all of that stuff so thanks so much for tuning in and we will pick up where we left off next week in this chapter yeah see you guys next week 